All right, you guys ready for Giant Slayer Part 3? Okay, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, before I do that, I just want to remind you, we are all about helping people follow Jesus. Because following Jesus is the path to the fullest life and the only path to eternal life. So we want to help you follow Jesus and for you in turn to help others find that. And with that, we are growing as a church. The last couple weeks, we have seen record numbers of attendance and also in kids, which is awesome. Praise God. That's cool, right? Um, but I'm going to ask you guys to do three things. And whether you've been coming for a long time or this is your first time, you are now being asked to do three things. I'm serious. Like, is this your first time? You're not a guest anymore, okay? We've just made that transition now that we are 20 minutes into the service. Okay, and these three things um, are, are, are three Fs. So park far, sit up front, and invite a friend. Okay, park far because our lot is full every single service now, okay? If you can park far, ride a bike, walk. We have a great uh, relationship with Montessori down the street, so we do have a lot that we can use, and you can shuttle in uh, on our amazing limo golf cart. Um, you can catch that ride in if you wanna do that. Or just park on some of the, the streets and be friendly, please. Um, be, <laughs> park on the streets, just park far, ride your bike, walk, whatever it takes, so that we can leave room for guests, okay? That's, that's where guests could park. If you have a physical reason why you need to park in the lot, please do that, okay? We, we want to encourage you to continue to do that. But if you're physically able, please park far. That's the first one. Sit up front, because where are the best seats in the house? No, in the back. Let's be honest. The back seats are, where, whenever you're new, you're kind of like, let me just sit in the back here and I'm like, check this place out, I'm not sure. So we wanna give our best seats to our guests. So if you can, you're not a guest anymore, just move up one row, move a little bit closer to the middle. Um, we even had to set up some extra chairs in the back. So if you're able to do that, sit close, sit up uh, front. And then the last one is to invite a friend because we wanna help more people follow Jesus. Okay, we wanna keep seeing that. Um, more people find and follow Jesus and have their lives transformed by his power. So those three things, park far, sit up front, invite a friend. Can we do that? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, now we're ready to get into Giant Slayer, aren't we? Okay, Giant Slayer, part three, when others weigh you down. When others weigh you down. Uh, who in here likes basketball? Yes, I saw Mike's hand go up straight up. Okay, I love basketball. We play every week. Um, but who in here has heard of Wilt Chamberlain? Okay, one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. Wilt was seven foot one, weighed 275 pounds, and he had a 48-inch vertical. Okay, that's the highest jump of any uh, professional basketball player ever, okay? So not only was he seven one, but he could jump another four feet on top of that. The rim is only at 10 feet, okay? You realize how incredibly huge he was? He was strong and he could go to the basket even with three people draped over him, holding him down, he'd still make it in. He was incredible at the game, but he had one big weakness. Do you know what it was? He couldn't hit a free throw. No matter how hard he tried, he would stand at the line and it's a free shot. There's nobody guarding him, no defensive players in the way and he still could not make it in. In fact, at the first few years of his career, he only shot free throws at about 40%. That's pretty bad. 40% in. So because of that, defenders would just hack him. They would foul him so that he had to go to the line, and then he would miss. They had a good chance of getting the ball back. So this was a big problem for him for those first few years, but then he changed. Heading into the 1961-62 season, he decided to change up his form for his free throws. Do you know how he shot from then on? Underhanded. Yeah, underhanded, which we all affectionately call the Granny shot, okay? Everybody knows that's how, you know, that's, that's the granny shot, okay? But he did it 
for the entire season. And as he did that, his percentage of hitting free throws went up from 40% to over 60%, which is pretty decent. Okay, that's a huge leap for a player. And because of that, in that season, he averaged over 50 points a game. That's impressive. Like Jordan was hitting like 35 a game, okay? 50 points a game. That's, that's a record that probably will never be matched. And on top of that, on March 2nd, 1962, he scored the most famous game of all time, 100 points in one game. Once again, another record never to be beaten. Even Kobe only got 82, okay? I'm a Kobe fan, okay? 100-point game. But what's really interesting is when you look closer at this game, he made 28 of his 32 free throws that game by shooting underhanded. Granny shot. He would not have had 100 points had he not shot underhand. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? The granny shot gave him the best record in the best season of the game. So then when the new season started, what do you think he did? He went back to his old shot. Started shooting overhand again. Years later in his autobiography, he wrote about why this happened because then his, of course, percentage dipped again. And he talked about why he did that. And he said this, I felt silly. I felt silly. He said, like a sissy, shooting underhanded, I know I was wrong. I know some of the best foul shooters in history shot that way. I just couldn't do it. So even though it gave him the best season, the best game in all of basketball history, he had to stop doing it because of what other people thought. Do you realize that? That shot still is considered by some to be, especially if you're that tall, if you're seven foot, a way better shot. You have a much higher likelihood of making it into the basket because then it, it makes it like gentler when it lands on the rim. And even if you miss, it's more likely to fall in, okay? So everybody, especially tall players, should really be shooting underhanded. But guess how many do? None. Even Shaquille O'Neal, who himself would have lots of free throw problems, wrote in his biography why he didn't shoot underhanded. He said, I'm too cool for that. He said that his dad had told him when he was just a little kid, that's a shot for sissies. Hmm. These big, strong, professional basketball players won't do what will actually help them score more and win games. Why? Because they're afraid of what other people will think. I think the opinions of others, the thoughts of others, the people around us influence, uh, influence us way more than we think. And because of that, they weigh us down from doing the things that we're supposed to do. And in this series, we're talking about slaying giants. Things that are overwhelming that we look at and we say, that's way bigger than anything I could handle on my own. It seems like a giant. Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's a loss of a job. I've had some of you reach out and share that you've been having a miscarriage or infertility or struggling with the death of someone you love. Your marriage is struggling or you're divorced and you're trying to figure out what's going on and people are struggling. I can't read what you just showed me, Sawyer. He's trying to put it up back here if you wanna tell me something. They're trying to pass a message and I can't read that much. Uh, um, so um, what I was saying is people have these giants. We have these huge things in our life. And when we're overwhelmed that way, we can't let other people weigh us down. Because sometimes it's other people, not even just ourselves, that gets in the way. It's other people around us. 
So that's what we're gonna learn today. Don't let someone else weigh you down. Don't let someone else weigh you down. You guys got it? That's gonna be our big idea. We're gonna learn three different ways that other people were, would have gotten in the way for, I think, most of us, but David was able to overcome these other people around him so that they didn't weigh him down. So we're gonna learn three points today from 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to 1 Samuel 17. If you have a smartphone, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. And if you are there, you can find um, on the bottom right-hand corner of that app, it says more, click that button. In the middle of the screen, it says event. You can find our Rise Church Denver event. And from there, you can see the scripture we're covering today. Take notes, save them there right on your phone. So this is a great way to keep track of what you're learning here on Sunday mornings, especially when you go to your groups midweek and then you got some notes that you can share and some things that you are learning. Okay, so three things we're gonna learn. And if you've missed any of this series, we are talking about David, the, the beginning of King David when he went to slay the giant Goliath and how did God help him to become the giant slayer that he was. So in turn, we can learn to be the giant slayers in our own life. And in week one, we learned that. Well, how do you actually do that? How do you become a giant slayer? How do you have the power to, to face these things that seem overwhelming? And we learned that God empowers those he chooses. So if he chooses us, and if you are a follower of Jesus, you already have been chosen. He's called you, he's loved you, and therefore he's given you the same spirit to live inside of you um, that, is, uh, that, that was in David to slay a giant. And that spirit lives inside of you. And then Pastor Sam last week, Remember Pastor Sam? Hey, Pastor Sam was preaching last week. Didn't he do a good job? Yeah, man. Woo! He brought it last week. Because between David being called and chosen and the point where he slays a giant, he's playing the lyre. He's playing some music, isn't he? And while he's doing that, he's worshiping first. Then he's accepting the assignment. And then he repeats. War, okay? You prepare for war. You make war. And that's what you need to do. And David was already doing that. He's worshiping first. So some of you just need to hear that message. Worship first and then accept the assignment. Whatever God gives you to do, whatever you are called to do, do that thing and keep going. Um, so today we're gonna be in 17 and we're gonna start the scene, this battle between David and Goliath. We're not gonna finish it today. So you're gonna have to come back next week for the finale. The actual ba battle. And I know some of you are like, shoot, I'm gonna be, it's Labor Day, I'm gonna be out of town. Well, you can subscribe on Yine, on YouTube or on your podcast app. Don't miss next week's message and we actually see David finally becoming the giant slayer. Um, but today we're gonna start verse 17, the preparation for the battle. And our first point that we're gonna learn today, if you're taking notes, our first point is don't let someone else's fear weigh you down. Yes, it's not even just your own fear, it's someone else's fear that can weigh you down. They told me to button my bottom button. Okay, this is supposed to be like super like, nobody knows what's going on. Is that better, Kane? Okay, thank you. I just like did everything I'm not supposed to do when you're on the stage, so don't learn from me. Um, so we're gonna be in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse one. You guys ready for this? Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. Verse two, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And then in verse three, verse three, it says the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So here is setting the stage for this epic 
battle. So this is a war. God's people, the Israelites, are facing the Philistines that lived in the west towards the Mediterranean Sea. And they had been enemies for a long time, but now war is breaking out. And the Philistines are coming east, and they would have come to the Valley of Elah because this valley connected Israel, which was a very hilly country, with the flatlands of the Mediterranean. This valley was basically the ancient interstate. Okay, in a hilly country, how do you get a lot of soldiers through? Okay, they, they had to go through the valley. This was the way that they could travel. So this was the way, if the Philistines were going to conquer Israel, they had to go through this valley. So that's why this is a very strategic battle that's about to happen. And whoever wins this controls the valley and therefore, like the Israelites, can protect their own nation so they don't become slaves and subject to a foreign dictator. So it's really important. Now Saul and the Philistines, Saul is still the king at this time. The Saul, I'm sorry, and the Israelites are preparing for this battle and they're on one side of the valley. You can just see them up there and they're looking down in the plain of the valley. And then on the other side of the valley are the Philistines. And they're looking at each other because it was right there in the plain in the middle of the valley where the battle would have happened. And then it says in verse four, a champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. So he comes down the valley into the middle and it says that his height was six cubits and a span. Did anybody bring their cubit stick with them today? No? Okay. Yeah, you guys don't know what a cubit is. It's basically the measurement like between your elbow and the tip of your finger. So you can imagine that. So it's actually probably not a very accurate (laughs) measurement system because everybody's arms are a little bit different. But in the ancient world, that's how people measured. Um, It wasn't until more scientific advancements that we um, created the great American system of yards and feet and inches, right? Go America, right? We're the only country in the world that is that foolish. But it's a little more accurate because we do have an accurate measurement of what it's supposed to be. So I say that because we don't know exactly how tall Goliath was. But based on this measurement, it would say that he would be about nine feet, nine inches. That's enormous. But even give or take, he's probably above nine feet. Now there's a couple ancient manuscripts that came actually a little bit later than the one we use that said that he was only six feet nine. So some people are like, oh, maybe he wasn't that huge. That's still enormous in the ancient world. Okay, when everybody's average height was like 5'4". Okay, this would have been huge anyways, but I actually don't think that's more accurate. I think somebody was like, that's huge. How could he be that tall? Just like you guys are thinking right now. And changed it a little bit. Okay, that's why we go to the original manuscripts when we translate the Bible. So nine feet nine. Some of you are like, that is a giant. Yes, it is. It is. It's enormous. It's huge. And we have some records from the ancient world there's one that comes from Egypt of a person who was over nine feet tall. So it's not unheard of. It's not impossible. And in fact, they've uh, done some excavations and found two women's skeletons that are over seven feet tall. So if the women are over seven feet tall, just imagine how tall some of the men were back then. And on top of that, um, we actually have, in modern measurements, in, in the scientific era, we have the measurements of a man who died in 1940, a man named Robert Ludlow, who was eight feet, 11 inches tall. So that's modern. So we're just talking a few inches above that. It's definitely possible. And uh, they probably would have measured the boots and the plumage, okay? 
If you look at ancient Philistine um, uh, helmets, they would have had a bronze helmet with a big plumage on top. So you put all that together, that's nine feet nine, or somewhere up at thereabouts. Whichever way you measure it, this guy's huge. Have you ever seen someone over seven feet? They're big, right? I remember once going to a Nuggets game and they were playing the Suns when Shaquille O'Neal was playing for the Suns. And I had a buddy that worked for the Nuggets, so we went in the back when all the players were coming out of the locker room. And I just remember seeing Shaq, he literally took up both double doors wide and he had to duck to get under this double door. He was enormous. Okay, now add two feet on top of that. That's terrifying. And that's why it goes on to describe this Goliath. Verse five, we read, he had a bronze helmet on his head, of course, with a plumage on top. And he wore a coat of scale armor. These would have been closely connected uh, bronze scales that would have gone all the way up from his neck down to his shins. And it weighed 5,000 shekels. You guys know about the shekel? Yeah, me neither. But it says in your footnote, that's 125 pounds. That's a lot of weight, okay? 125 pounds of armor on this guy, meaning he is very strong because he can continue to move. And it says that on his legs, he wore bronze greaves. This is mean where the, the scale mail uh, left off there, his, um, his shins are covered as well with armor going into the boots. And then it says, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back and his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which once again, footnote tells you it's like 15 pounds. And his shield bearer was ahead of him. It's, it points out that he has an iron point because this was actually the very beginning of the Iron Age. So everything is bronze and he would have had iron because that's even stronger than bronze. So he has the best weapons available. He has the best assault rifle of his day. There with him, this heavy weapon that he is carrying around. And it says that he has a shield bearer. Now, if you've ever seen a cartoon depiction of this, they never draw the shield bearer, right? It's just David versus Goliath. But a shield bearer was someone who literally carried a shield in the ancient world. That was their job. It's because Goliath wanted his hands free. He had this giant spear that maybe he even used two hands with and a sword. And the shield bearer would have had a shield that would have gone up to Goliath's height. So here's this nine foot plus shield that was body width that a guy, his jaw was just to run around and have this shield so that no one could shoot an error, arrow or throw a projectile, which is gonna be important when we get to next week, at the champion. Do you guys understand this? This guy is armed to the hilt, as much armor as you can imagine, and there he is intimidating everyone. He's terrifying everyone. Look at verse eight. It says that Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? He would have had to yell pretty loud. There was an amplification back then. So I just wanna give you guys a little bit of taste for what that might've been like. Okay, I'll stop right there. You got enough. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. What is going on here is an ancient form of warfare called battle by champion. There was a representative warrior who would go out, and this is attested to in, in, in the ancient world, that the best warrior would go out. Instead of us killing tens and thousands of us and all dying bloody on the battlefield, let's just send out one, and whoever wins, wins. 
the other nation becomes the slaves to the winning nation by champion. David, or I'm sorry, Goliath here is called this champion, and, and the word champion uh, just means the man between two. That's what it literally translates to, the man between two, literally the man between two armies. So he would go out, represent one army, and then he's asking for another champion to come out and represent that army. He specifically mentions Saul because Saul's the king, and if you remember about Saul, he's a head taller than everybody else in Israel. Why isn't he out there? ready to fight Goliath. So Goliath's taunting them. Show me your army, Saul. Come on, let's go out. Or anybody, just give me one champion and I'll fight him and I'll kill him. But nobody goes out to fight. Saul himself, who has won some battles, who is a big dude, he is terrified as well. In fact, in verse 11, we read, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They're afraid. Everybody's afraid. And there's a collective fear that builds up. When one person's afraid, when the king's afraid, the leader's afraid, everybody is afraid. And this fear rubs off on everybody, so nobody is willing to go fight. They have a God who has made the sun stand still, who's taken Israel through the Red Sea and, and, and caused that Red Sea to devour the pharaohs and the Egyptians' armies. That, that, that's all happened in the past, yet everyone's just afraid of a giant. And you'd be like, come on, guys, get out there but every single one of us would be just as afraid, wouldn't we? Because when you see your giant, you are overwhelmed and it begins to weigh on you. And even when you talk to other people, it can be very discouraging when you talk about the thing you're facing. Have you ever felt that weight of fear? I have, sometimes it's on your chest. I feel it in my neck and I don't even wanna do anything about it. Sometimes you just wanna stay in bed, right? You don't wanna move or you're gonna like do anything else to avoid dealing with the giant that's in front of you. You know what I'm talking about? And that weight gets heavier and heavier when we're around people who are afraid. Because they start saying, well, I heard somebody who had that same diagnosis and they died. Or, or you go online and you hear what other people are saying and, and man, you get on WebMD, you're gonna be terrified, right? You read down on some forums, you're hearing all these stories about stuff. You are filled with fear because of other people. This is what happens, doesn't it? Someone else's fear becomes your fear and it becomes even more overwhelming. And that's what's happening in this situation. And it could have been the thing that weighed down David. Wait, you say, where's David? He's not in this story yet. You're right. Because David, yes, he was anointed as the king. And yes, we saw last week that he played really great music and he's coming in here um, shredding on the ax, um, which was the liar in the ancient world. Um, but he was, would just go to Saul temporarily when Saul had a demon, when he had an evil spirit come to him. And then David would go back to his dad to work for him at, who, as a shepherd. And he would kind of go back and forth for a while. But now that Saul is entering into war, David is at home working for his dad as a shepherd. And he's been there at least 40 days because we come to the point in the story when David's it's coming down and it's been 40 days of this taunting by Goliath over and over again, meaning David is not considered a warrior. Now, my guess as to why this is happening is because David has three older brothers who are warriors who are fighting. But according to uh, biblical law, somebody should not have become a warrior until they were 20 years of age. So probably David is younger than 20. We don't know that for sure. But probably he's younger than that, maybe even quite a bit younger than that. He's a teenager. And he is at home working for dad. 
So he's out there taking care of the sheep and he's accepting the assignment, just like Sam taught us last week. That's his job, he's gonna do it and he's gonna do it faithfully, whatever it is. He's not slaying giants yet, he's not the king yet, but he's gonna take care of the sheep. And then his dad gives him a new assignment and without grumbling or complaining for that assignment, he accepts it as well. His dad says, hey, we gotta send some food to your brothers and their unit who are on the front lines. That's how they would have done it back then, okay? There weren't MREs that they could just go get. It would have been the family supporting the troops on the front line. So David is tasked with carrying all this food to his brothers who are the actual warriors. And he accepts that assignment and goes. So basically he is driving DoorDash while his brothers are the real warriors. And when he gets to the front line, he, he drops off the food with who he's supposed to. And then he starts looking around, trying to figure out what is going on. 40 days without fighting, what is going on? And, and it says in verse 23, as he's beginning to ask people what's going on, it says, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. So here he is hearing this for the first time. And it says that whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. They're not just shaking, they are running away every time Goliath comes out for 40 days now. And David sees it. He sees their fear. So does he take on their fear? There is a giant. He's terrifying. He's huge. Look at that spear shaft. But no, instead David realizes that he's not going to live in that fear and let other people's fear weigh him down. He's not going to. But he can. Corey Tenboom, who herself was arrested um, and put in a concentration camp, said this. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Do you realize that? When you give into that fear, when other people around you are worried and fearful, if you just get into it, it's gonna sap you of your strength. It's gonna make you weak. That's what I'm talking about with this weight on you. You can't do it just because everybody else is saying you can't do it. But David isn't gonna let that happen. Instead, he goes to Saul. And if you jump down to verse 32, it says that David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. That's the same phrase, no one lose heart, for let no one be afraid. Let everyone be courageous. He said, we're not gonna allow fear to weigh us down. We've got to move ahead. So that's the first thing we need to learn. Don't let someone else's fear weigh you down from what God is calling you to do. If you have a giant, don't let their fear take you down. Take courage, take heart. It is scary. That is a giant. But with God's power, you can slay it. It's the first point. Second point, don't let someone else's opinions weigh you down. Don't let their fear weigh you down and don't let their opinions weigh you down. This is the second thing that almost gets in the way for David. When David is asking around, trying to figure out what's going on in verse 28, it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Sounds like an older brother, doesn't it? Who in here has an older brother or a brother, right? Okay. It's just like the brother, right? Okay, just like the sibling. No, what I'm saying here is we all have this sibling, we all have the friend, we have somebody that questions our character, questions our heart, puts motives on us that we don't actually have. Have you ever had this experience? 
People have this opinion of us. Oh, you're just doing this because you're conceited. You're prideful. You think, even saying this, you think you can take on that giant because, because you're prideful. Your arrogance. They're questioning your motives. Has anybody ever done that to you? I had a couple of people criticize me online this week and they were going at my motives. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. I haven't met you. Yet you know everything about me and my heart and my motivations for doing everything. Have you guys ever had this happen to you? People don't know what's going on in your heart and yet they criticize your character, your heart. But you can't let people's opinions of you weigh you down. David isn't gonna let that stop him. Look at what he responds. Verse 29, now what have I done? Said David, can't I even speak? He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't fight with his brother. He just moves on to talk to somebody else. And I just, I love that he does that. Um, Winston Churchill uh, once said that you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. I think he's right. There's all sorts of people gonna criticize you, share their opinions, think you can't do it, say you can't do it. You can't engage them, just keep moving ahead. If you know God has called you to do something, if you know he has a trial in front of you, this giant, you've gotta keep moving ahead. Who cares what other people think? You can't think, even if they're the king, listen to what uh, happens next in verse 33. When David goes to Saul and says, I'm gonna do this, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. You're too young, too small, too inexperienced. You don't have what it takes. You like that criticism? It's coming from the top. We get those criticisms too, don't we? Some of you have gotten it because of your age. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. You didn't go to the right school. You don't come from the right background. Maybe you're too old. Uh, you can't handle it anymore. People criticize us for all sorts of things. And David was young. He wasn't experienced. But we can't let anyone weigh us down in their opinions of us. In fact, when, when Paul talks to this young pastor named Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Set an example. Don't let anyone look down on you because it doesn't matter what other people are saying about you. Even if it's true, you can't listen to their opinions. Think about David. He was so young, or, or whatever reason, that his dad didn't even think to invite him in when all his brothers were there when Samuel came to anoint a king. That didn't stop David. He didn't care that his dad didn't call him in for dinner, right? When David got to the battlefield, he didn't care that his older brother attacked his heart and his character. Didn't matter what his brother said. Even when the king himself is saying he's too young, David doesn't listen to him. Do you know who David is actually listening to? God. And let me tell you, if God has called you and chosen you, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. Because I'm telling you, God is the one who has called you. He is the one who has chosen you. He is the one who's empowered you. He is the one who said, you are my child. I've given you my spirit. And if he has said that, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Don't let someone else's opinion weigh you down. Somebody needs to hear that today. And I'm telling you, it doesn't even matter if what he's saying is true. Listen to what David says in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. He's a shepherd. Oh, great defense for yourself, right? But he says this, when a lion or a bear, and this would have been a brown bear, think grizzly, okay? When they came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, that's an insult by the way, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. See, David knows what he's been through. He knows what trials he's overcome. He knows that he has killed the lion. He has killed the bear. So he can take down a giant. See, other people don't know what you've been through. They don't know what you've accomplished and the actual experience that you have that could apply to this situation. They just see your resume. They just see your background. They think, oh, you're not from the right family. You're not from the right whatever, okay? It doesn't matter what someone else thinks. Don't let someone else's opinions weigh you down. And David wouldn't let that happen. He's gonna move ahead. But here's the next thing that David has to do. Don't let someone else's armor weigh you down. Okay? What are you talking about, Matt? When Saul's finally like, okay, we'll let you go. We'll let you go. I die out there. Verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Verse 39, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Okay, David is a shepherd boy. He's not huge. He's not enormous. He has never probably worn armor. You're not gonna go wear armor out in the field because you gotta chase after sheep. You wanna be quick. He wouldn't have had a sword even when he was out there. He wasn't used to any of it. But Saul was like, if you're gonna fight a guy with armor, you have to put on armor. So he gave him his armor. So here's the thing. People are gonna try to give you armor that won't fit you. They're gonna try to tell you how to fight your fight and to do it like them because that's how Saul would have done it. He'd fought battles. He'd worn his armor before. Goliath has armor. You gotta try to match your opponent and do what they're doing. Don't wear someone else's armor. You need to be you, not somebody else. God only created one of you. Do it the way God has called you to do how he's created you to do. Okay, this means it includes your weaknesses and limitations. David wasn't strong, he wasn't huge, yet that's exactly what he needed. He needed the quickness that he had had when he'd killed a lion and a bear so that he could face the giant. You need to be you, even with your weaknesses and limitations. I'm serious about this. Johnny Erickson Tata, who's another woman who faced her giant as a quadriplegic, she wrote, deny your weakness and you will never realize God's strength in you. God created you that way, even with your weaknesses, even if you're too short, too young, too old, not big enough, not smart enough, don't have what it takes. No, God created you to be you so that you could slay your giant. So be you. Don't be like, man, I wish I didn't have this weakness. Man, I wish I didn't have this. Man, I wish I had that education, that person. Doesn't matter. Be you. God created you specifically to do what he called you to do. And if he's gonna put a giant in front of you, he created you to slay that giant just the way he created you. And that's what David realizes. He doesn't let someone else's armor weigh him down. So in the second half of verse 39, he says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then, verse 40, he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. So we're gonna leave off for today, huh? 
Yeah, you're gonna wanna come back next week, right? But he was used to his staff. He was used to his sling. He had the pouch that was his shepherd's pouch where he would have kept stones in. He was used to those things, so he's gotta use what he knows. His experience that he has, that has prepared him for the battle that he's about to face. And God has created you and he's prepared you for what you're facing. In your past, he's built some resilience. Guess what, guys? We all survived the pandemic. Did you know that? We have a resilience that God has created in us. We have an experience that a lot of people previous to us haven't had, right? We can overcome that. We can overcome the giants we're facing right now. He's given you experience. He's crafted you specifically, purposefully to do what you are called to do so you can become a giant slayer. Just don't let someone else weigh you down. Don't let their fears weigh you down. Don't let their opinions weigh you down. And don't let their armor weigh you down. Be you, who God created you to be. Could everybody close their eyes right now? I know there's some people in here that are facing a giant right now. They're feeling overwhelmed. And if that's you, I want you to just put your hand in the air because I wanna say a special prayer blessing for you. If you're online, you can type a comment, send us a message, we'll pray for you especially too. Lord God, I see these men and women who are facing a giant right now. They're overwhelmed. They don't know how they're gonna get over this thing. Lord God, I pray that right now they would know that you created them, you crafted them, you have empowered them to face this giant right now. Would they feel your strength in a new way? your power in a fresh way. They would know that you are with them. Lord God, would you give them the strength they need right now so that they can become giant slayers. Pray this blessing in Jesus' name. You can put your hands down. Now you can open your eyes for a second. Um, Because in this passage twice, it's called Goliath a champion. Have you noticed that? He's the champion who fights the battle. And David is now stepping up to be the champion to represent all of God's people. Sometimes we need a champion to fight on our behalf, don't we? Let me tell you some good news. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our true champion because we face the battle of sin, death, and the devil that we actually cannot defeat on our own. We are imperfect. We sin. We fail. But Jesus fought those for us on the cross And because he rose from the dead on the third day, we know that those giants were slayed on our behalf. Jesus is our champion, our representative. So when we put our faith in him, that gives us the strength to face the giants we have in our lives. Do you understand? I'm telling you this because some of you are not followers of Jesus yet. And if you want to be a giant slayer, you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and savior to know he's already slayed the biggest giants on your behalf for you. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity if if you're um, already a follower of Jesus, I want you to say a prayer out loud to give courage to somebody around you who needs to pray it for the first time. Let's do the opposite. Like, let's not weigh them down with fear. Let's give them some courage, right? Does that sound good? So let's all close our eyes and please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and slay my giants. Now with eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus for the first time today is your Lord and Savior, we wanna celebrate with you. Um, So could you please put your hand in the air on the count of three? One, two, three. Put your hand in the air if you made that decision today. I see that hand in the back. Let's celebrate. 
Let's celebrate. Lord God, we're just so grateful that you call us, that you choose us, that you sent your son to, to be our champion, to defeat sin, death, and the devil on our behalf. And would that power just come inside of us, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, would it live in us and empower us so we can go out from here, slaying giants, helping others slay their giants. And I pray this in Jesus' name.